to Glow Up Syndrome, the wellness podcast that reframes the law of attraction. Here we emphasize working hard towards our best selves. I am your host, Mick, and this is episode three. So the past couple of episodes I've covered like thematic topics, but this time I want to go over like a very specific experience. Surprise, surprise, this is going to be the first out of two episodes covering my experience as an exchange student at Cornell University. So it's not only welcome to episode three today, it's welcome to the Ivy League Chronicles part one. I'm literally going to be articulating my experience from start to finish. So in this episode, I'll cover the following subtopics, applying for exchange and receiving my allocation, how I got ready for exchange, how I felt about the academic experience at Cornell overall, and transitioning from UK life to US life, like basically differences in culture. The next episode in this series will then cover friendships, extracurriculars, career opportunities, how I dealt with the experience coming to an end, and then I'll cap it off probably with like a list of lessons I learned along the way. Okay, I know I usually have a little chat and catch up with you guys before delving into the episode, but we're getting straight into it today because there's just so much to talk about. If you're new to the pod, what do you need to know about me to understand the context of this experience? Currently, I'm an incoming fourth-year student at the University of Edinburgh in Scotland studying psychology, but I just finished my third year, or junior year if you're American, at Cornell University in Ithaca, New York. I've always dreamed of attending an Ivy League university, so when I heard that Edinburgh offered the chance to go and actually attend one for a full year, and yeah, that's a decently long time, guys, I was stunned. I know some people go into certain universities with these exchange partnerships in mind, but I'd only heard about it for the first time during my first year when one of my dorm mates mentioned it in passing. She really wanted to go to UPenn and was busting her ass off academically from the minute she started university to qualify for the third year exchange there. Other than Cornell and UPenn though, Edinburgh also has an Ivy League exchange partnership with like Columbia. So that's three out of eight of the IVs. And for those who don't know, the other IVs are Harvard, Yale, Princeton, Brown, and Dartmouth. So that kind of planted the seed in my head that I could potentially go to one of these elite schools through exchange someday, but it also wasn't like the hugest deal to me because I was being given all of these fantastic opportunities at Edinburgh that I knew I wouldn't want to say bye to or turn down. A whole year went by really quickly and suddenly I was finishing off my first semester of my second year at Edinburgh. An exchange talk was announced to her entire psychology cohort and I was literally quite bored that week so I figured okay why not attend and then I went through the whole two-hour talk and somehow that just made me feel more or less more committed to at least applying however exam season came and I was stressed and busy and I changed my mind eventually and decided not to apply at all in fact if you listen to my first episode you'll know that I was also in a bit of a depressive 
episode back then and just had really bad stuff I was going through at the same time. But then I finished my exams early, I locked myself in my room with nothing to do, and I'm a workaholic who just goes insane without anything productive to do. So I opened up the exchange application and just started working on it. The biggest chunk of it was a personal statement I had to write, but it literally took me like three hours over a span of two days to write. Then I just thought fuck it and sent it in. I'm not usually like this callous with big opportunities like this. However, again, given everything I was going through and all the opportunities I knew Edinburgh already offered me that were beneficial for my future, I figured I wouldn't be too disappointed anyway if I didn't get in. I did strategize where I applied to. The way it works is that there are two factions, shall I say? International exchange or subject-specific exchange. With international exchange, it's generally more competitive because anyone from the university's second year cohort, which is about like 10,000 students, can apply. And obviously, the exchange options are more expensive. The subject-specific option is less so competitive because only the cohort of your specific degree can apply. There's typically only like five options you can choose from depending on the size of your degree. And for psych, these options were like less recognized universities in like Europe mostly, like Spain, Denmark, etc. I wasn't in it to travel per se like other people were. I was more in it for like the chance to attend more elite universities like those in the Ivy League. Like I just wanted to further my career. So I opted for the international exchange application that had the Ivy League universities. Then within that, you can choose five from the list and you have to rank it according to preference. So again, trying to maximize my chances of getting into like cool, otherwise competitive places. I put down Columbia University as my first choice. It had only one slot available, Cornell University as my second choice, which had four slots, then UPenn as third with six slots. UChicago was fourth and the UCs were last, which unfortunately is like a whole option. You don't get to specify which UC, they just allocate you randomly to one. So I think actually that Cornell wasn't like even on the officially published list of international exchange options. I just saw it in the drop down menu last minute and recognized it as an IV. So I theorized that that gave me an advantage by nature of less people knowing about it and applying for it. And that was that. I submitted the personal statement and my preferences. Okay, then they evaluate your application using like a peer grading system. So 50% of the decision is your grades from first year and the other 50% is your peer scored essay. And basically whoever has the highest overall score gets allocated to the top schools if in their preferences. I didn't do so well in college apps when I was in my senior year of high school though, so I wasn't super confident I would get anything. Like at that point, I had already gotten rejected from Columbia, so I had really like nothing to lose. But that meant I also had very minimal expectations. So once I submitted the application, I really mostly forgot about it until they got back to me like midway through Christmas break. I found out while I was in the Philippines, like 
At midnight, I literally opened my email and screamed. I spammed my family group chat because they were all asleep. Then I decided to wake everyone up anyway, so I did. But you can tell just by this story that I was in so much freaking shock. There is a second part of the allocation process actually, like... Once Edinburgh accepts and nominates you for a specific type of program, your host university, in this case Cornell, has to accept you as well. So I then had to undergo another process and write up a whole other application for Cornell itself. And thankfully I passed that stage as well. Then I was officially off, you know, just like that. Now, how did I get ready for exchange? Man, that part was pretty complicated as well. I had my parents help, thankfully. But number one was finding somewhere to stay because exchange offers come in pretty late compared to when students of the school normally start securing their accommodations. I was already at a disadvantage in terms of finding my own place to stay. So dorms had already been allocated to students at Cornell and so I would have gotten last pick of dorms and because I had just come from my own super shitty and frankly traumatizing living situation at Edinburgh, I decided along with my parents not to risk it. So I am blessed that my parents were willing to pay for a private accommodation outside of the Cornell campus but I was able to find a studio apartment for a pretty good price, at least for Ithaca though, although Ithaca is pricey as hell already. The only downsides were that it was unfurnished and pretty far from campus, so I did have to deal with those issues, but still it was better than having another chaotic flat situation with people I didn't know I clashed with. And looking back now, it all turned out great. Like that was the perfect approach for me personally. Another preparation thing that was quite tricky was like choosing courses. So again, I was pretty late to the game because of the exchange acceptance timeline so when i got onto the enrollment system of cornell i had a very limited choice of like courses people did not choose four of my courses were ones i didn't really hugely look forward to but one i was actually able to email the professor and kind of like beg her to let me in her course because i didn't get equal opportunity as an exchange student to pre-enroll and wouldn't have another opportunity in the future to try. This course, bear in mind, had a current waitlist of 30 students or something, but she was super nice and let me in. So I at least had that going for me. Everything else preparation-wise is pretty self-explanatory. I obviously struggled hella just furnishing my apartment a few days before classes. Like there were a couple days, the apartment only had like a mattress. Then I had to assemble all the furniture that got delivered and such. Academics wise, post course selection stuff. Let's actually get into that right now. This one is pretty interesting to talk about. See, beforehand, I was actually mentally preparing myself for like academic hell at Cornell. Obviously, because it's an Ivy League school full of the smartest people in the world. And not only that, Cornell of all the Ivy Leagues was rumored to be the easiest to get into but the hardest to graduate from, which is frankly terrifying for anyone who hears it because what does that say about the class difficulties, right? Yeah, no. Cornell, I learned, overloads its students with a shit ton of work, but at least for me, in my subject area, was actually easy as fuck. But I guess I have had 
a unique point of comparison. My high school curriculum was nicknamed the hardest in the world, the IB diploma program. Yes, if you know of it and took it, you can relate, I'm sure. And we can all have like a cry fest together. But if you don't know, I went off to uni at Edinburgh and actually found stuff really easy after the IB. And then it was even crazier for me to experience and discover that Edinburgh was easier than Cornell. Like, I I think that's because of differences in the type of academic approach that the US takes versus the UK. In the UK, at least, it's more rigor-focused than intensity-focused, if that makes sense. Like, it's quality over quantity. We barely have any homeworks or smaller assessments. We usually just have one or two large ones that determine our grade for a course. We also have less courses to take, like five or six a year, but they're just heavier in content and harder to pass. And finally, in the UK, passing is literally 40% and an A is 70% and above, which I think speaks volumes as to how harsh the grading actually is. And it isn't easy at all to get an A. I actually think that it's pretty normal to get A's in the US, while it's almost unheard of to get A's in the UK. Comparing all of this, I learned that Cornell gave so much work but it was very doable. Like easy A's and no it wasn't just the classes I took because I took a range of classes that were supposedly more difficult. A result of my humanities-based degree program, maybe, but yeah no, it was generally much easier, way more classes to attend, more work, more assessments, more time commitment, But if you were hardworking and dedicated, you would have it in the bag. This is not to brag at all, but my percent average at Cornell was like, what, like 97, which is insanity. In Edinburgh, it was probably like lower by like at least 20 something, almost 30%. And that's a huge gap, like how different academic cultures can be. But I think I wrote that down on my exchange application that I wanted to go to the US to experience what academic culture is like there and such because I was deciding between pursuing my career in either the UK or the US and it was important information to gather for myself. Pro tip, if you're applying for exchange to the US and are stumped for what to say in terms of why, say that. Base it on your particular location. And then last thing I want to talk about It wasn't just the academic culture that was vastly different. The actual culture was disparate by miles. Like some of you already know this tea and maybe I'm a little ashamed to say it because I don't want to diss a whole culture, but I genuinely enjoy the US way more than I did in my two years in the UK. I can't seem to pinpoint exactly why, but my theory is that US culture is way more similar to Philippine culture than UK culture is. And I grew up in the Philippines, a US colony, so obviously that would dictate what I'm used to. It could also simply be because I was focusing on my happiness way more though, like who knows? But anyway, going back to culture, the key differences I'll note are the warmth of the people, the common mode of transportation being cars, and the lack of a drinking culture. So in general, I noticed that people in the US tend to hold much warmer encounters with each other, even if you're complete strangers. Like, someone might just ask you about your day or say hi on the street, whereas, at least from my experience in the UK, like, no one in Edinburgh would have done that to me. Like, I think people mind their own business more in the UK. Or if someone were to, like, accidentally, physically bump into me in the streets in the UK, I don't actually see them 
saying much and on the other hand in the u.s they would definitely make it a huge deal and be like oh my gosh that's totally my bad are you okay do you need any help and such if you can picture that in your head and i don't want to get into it too much now because I'm saving it for the next episode and I want to keep an organized structure to this series, but this warmth also made it so much easier to make friends in the US. In terms of cars being more common over walking or public transportation, like I think that just made it more so likely for me to bump into people or stay home. And that promoted two things specifically. Encountering my friends more often because people parked their cars and clumped into smaller space areas as well as just staying home more often and being forced to give myself time to take care of myself and relax. Like, I didn't have my own car, so I would pretty much only commute to campus via bus once a day, like in the mornings. Then I would commute back in the late afternoons or evenings and stay home the rest of the evening. So half my day was like constantly seeing people I know on campus, and the latter half was like sort of a social recovery time, as an ambivert, This was also the perfect setup for me. If I compare this to how my life was in the UK, I think that generally people were always out despite the shit weather because everything was walkable and accessible and also Edinburgh was in fact a city uni that was huge so I didn't even see people I knew as often as I probably would have liked. Edinburgh kind of just tosses you into real life a little and it's like sink or swim and I think that's the big difference too. Like you're on your own kid. Okay, then in terms of drinking culture, I think that's definitely just a UK thing. Like, everyone knows the British love to drink, maybe as a function of their shitty weather too, (laughs) but that wasn't just, that just wasn't how it was in the US, especially with the legal drinking age being 21 and people trying not to drink so they could drive around. I much prefer the lack of a drinking culture in the US, because then I have fun in the daytime or have more wholesome nighttime hangouts with people without being forced to be drunk. Because that's another thing about the UK, people seem to like binge drink rather than properly enjoy their drinks. Like, who actually wants to be that drunk and not remember anything all day, every day? Not me, that's for sure. No, but like, I prefer to have like nice hangouts and dinners with my girls or go to like a little chill night out at someone's house with light drinks instead of like the icky sweaty club where you lose all your friends and can't hear anyone speak. Obviously I'm still in college in the US and there are like underage drinking stuff and like frat parties and stuff but that's not really my thing and way easier to avoid if you're like me and not very into it or only occasionally into it so yeah. Again another thing about the US I realized that made me much happier and more comfortable. If I were to sum up all of these facts, I think you can tell that I now have like a much larger preference and attachment to the US. It really depends on the person though, this isn't meant to sway anyone towards any which side or country, it's more just like me learning what I like and what fits my personality more. My time in the US has been way more conducive to my own habits. I am hoping that I get to settle in the US in the future and find a career there, which drawing all the way back to my exchange application statement is exactly what I wrote that I hope to make a decision about through my exchange experience. But yeah, anyway, that's it for this episode, guys. I know that this is alternatively super specific and may not be relatable to everyone, but I thought it would be cool to be less theoretical and focus on my own stories every now and again. In between now and episode 4, 
I'll work on the second half of this Ivy League series, but also I'm focusing on like a bunch of other stuff like my research internships and potentially I'm planning a beach trip because it's hot girl summer. Oh, one more thing. Okay, I couldn't resist. I do actually want to do a little catch up with you guys. In the last episode, I said that I was supposed to be flying home. I'm most definitely home by the time this is being published, but I actually prepared most of this episode from Westchester in New York. I'm using Philippine Airlines for the very first time, and my flight got either canceled or delayed a total of six times. Can you believe? Like, isn't that totally unprofessional? And Philippine Airlines didn't even, like, reimburse me or anything for all the changes. Like, nothing. They were just being a massive inconvenience to a paying customer and did nothing to fix it or make up for it, which is like a thing that's wholly unique to the airline. A different airline probably would have dealt with the situation much more clearly. And also after the last flight change, they then emailed me that half of my luggage allowance was going to be like put on another day or two later flight and shipped back to me within a longer span of days. Like what? So you inconvenienced me a shit ton then you're gonna inconvenience me more and not make up for any of it. Like, how is this even legal? I have a life and shit to get to, and again, I'm a paying customer. Anyway, maybe I'm just shitting on Philippine Airlines, but it kind of sucks. That was a horrible first experience. I am recording this from my room back home, though, and the great thing about being home is that I have my really techie brother who's helping me out so much on this end, so I know I literally say this every episode but the sound quality should be better now again thanks marty i have been prioritizing like actually publishing the episodes and getting the content up and sound quality stuff like that like i figured that's something i would work on along the way i think it's better to be consistent and you know the rest will catch up with stuff like these like podcasts i think it's better to like give people something to listen to even if it's not my complete best like i'm trying not to be too much of a perfectionist i just want to be able to at least publish something every week but obviously still try to improve every single episode okay that's the end of it for today this got like really long (laughs) As per usual, let me know what you think. You can usually message me on Insta or answer my little polls there. Or you can interact through the polls right below this episode if you're listening on Spotify too. Thanks for tuning in. To keep up to date, follow at underscore Michaela Dizon, which is my personal Insta, and at Globe Syndrome, which is the pod Insta, to stay updated. Till next week, bye!